So, Matthew 15, verses 29 to 39. The word reads, Jesus went on from there and walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him, bringing with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they put them at his feet, and he healed them. So that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they glorified the God of Israel. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd, because they've been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. And the disciples said to him, Where are we to get enough bread in such a desolate place to feed so great a crowd? Jesus said to them, How many loaves do you have? They said, Seven, and a few small fish. And directing the crowd to sit down on the ground, he took the seven loaves and the fish, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up seven baskets full of the broken pieces left over. Those who ate were 4,000 men, besides the women and children. And after sending them away, or after sending away the crowds, he got into the boat and went to the region of Magadan. All right, so tomorrow is New Year's Eve. What are your resolutions? Maybe you're committed to starting that diet that you thought you were going to start in 2023. And you're actually going to do it this time. Maybe you want to start a new Bible reading plan and and try to at least get through the book of Leviticus. Because that's where a lot of people stop. Maybe you want to exercise every day, three times a week, at least one time a week, or at least look at an exercise machine one time a week. What are your New Year's resolutions? How about this one? Seriously, how about this one? Look more like Jesus in 2024 than you did in 2023. How about looking more like Jesus in 2024 than you did in 2023? We've been following the compassionate King, Jesus Christ. How about a a greater devotion to this King and greater imitation of his character. Well, in order to imitate Christ, we need a vision of his compassion. And to be devoted to Christ, we need to see an example of devotion. And we get both in this passage. Uh, First, we're going to look at him. Because we always look at Jesus first, especially in the Gospels as we follow him. We're going to look at Jesus and see his compassion. And then, we're going to look at them And by them, I mean the crowds, because they're going to give us an example of what devotion looks like to the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, so we're looking at Jesus, we're looking at him, and then we're going to to look at the crowd's response. We're going to look at them and learn from both. So first in your outline, as we're just going to move through the passage, we're going to see first his compassion for the strangers. His compassion for the strangers. Now, verse 29 says, Jesus went on from there. Where is there? 
Where has Jesus been? Well, as you might remember, there is the district of Tyre and Sidon. It is northwest of the Sea of Galilee. It's primarily a non-Jewish region. There, if you remember, is where he healed the daughter of the Gentile woman. There is where this Gentile woman showed great faith. Okay, so that, that's there. He's going from there to where. Well, we look here in the text and we see Jesus went on from there and he walked beside the Sea of Galilee. And he went up on a mountain and sat down there. And great crowds came to him. So Tyre and Sidon are a bit far from the Sea of Galilee, northwest. And now Jesus is along the Sea of Galilee somewhere. And we're told that he finds a mountain or a hill. And he goes up to the mountain and he sits down and great crowds come to him. Now, what is the ethnic makeup of these great crowds? What's their ethnicity? What kind of people are we talking about in this crowd? Well, Matthew gives us a couple of hints. First, Matthew places this event directly after his encounter with a Gentile woman in a Gentile region. So there's a hint. And Matthew doesn't place encounters chronologically all the time. He places encounters topically related in some way. So that's our first hint from Matthew. And the the second hint is that Matthew tells us this crowd glorifies God. But did you see in the passage, they didn't just glorify God. They glorified the God of Israel in verse 31. Now, why would Matthew need to put that there if this was a Jewish crowd? It's a hint that it was a non-Jewish crowd. Another Gentile region. Now, the Gospel author Mark tells us exactly where Jesus is. Mark says that he is in the region of the Decapolis. The Decapolis, which is the southeastern side of the Sea of Galilee. Decapolis means ten cities. It's a legion of ten cities. It's a a multi-ethnic region. It's under the control of the Syrian government. This is a another Gentile region. And so the crowds that come to Jesus are probably Gentiles. Now, are you connecting the dots here? If not, it's okay. I will connect them for you. But this is significant. It is not a coincidence that Jesus goes from there to here. Let me go back and let's refer to the parable that Jesus and the Canaanite woman told us. Okay, the parable of Jesus and the Canaanite woman. Together they said, just in the previous passage, that Jesus would first come to Israel and feed the children that sit at his table. Do you remember? And the woman finished the parable and she said, yes, but also the Gentiles are going to eat the crumbs that fall from the table. The Gentiles being the dogs. Now follow me here. Jesus has already fed 5,000. Do you remember where? If you don't, it's okay. He was in the region of 
He was in the towns and the cities around Bethsaida. Bethsaida is a primarily Jewish region. It was under the leadership of, of Philip the Tetrarch. And Jesus called those people sheep without a shepherd, which was an allusion to an Old Testament prophecy of Israel. They're called sheep without shepherds. In 1 Kings 22, Ezekiel 34. So Jesus literally fed children. Now who's going to eat? Now who's Jesus about to feed? The dogs. Isn't that cool? Another feeding of another thousands. And this time, primarily Gentile. See, Matthew's showing us something. Matthew's showing us something that is significant. This is not coincidence. God is the best story writer. He connects the dots for us, and we just got to find them through diligent Bible study. This is more than another miraculous feeding. It's more than another collection of miraculous healings. Matthew is showing us that the compassion of Christ is going to the nations. To people of all kinds of ethnic backgrounds, not just the Jews. The gospel is going to strangers, to foreigners. People who did not know the God of Israel, much less glorify Him, and now look what they're doing. They are glorifying the God of Israel. This is the compassion of God to strangers, Gentiles, people like you and me, if you're not of Jewish ethnicity. That's good news. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that Jesus came and he preached peace to those who were far off, meaning Gentiles, strangers, foreigners, and he came and preached peace to those who were near, referring to the Jews. Those who had the covenant promises of God, they had the word of God. And it says in chapter 2 verse 18 that through Jesus, both of us have access to God. Both of us are united to God through Christ. So that, verse 19, listen, you are no longer strangers. You're no longer aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You are members of the household of God. See, the compassion of Christ goes to the stranger and makes them children. God's compassion goes far beyond the boundaries of ethnicity. Of the ethnicity of Israel, the Jewish nation, and goes far beyond the boundaries of other ethnic barriers that people have put up. The gospel goes to all the nations, all tribes, all languages, all geographies, spreads around the world. The free salvation offered from God through Christ goes to all people. God truly, through this descendant of Abraham, is extending his blessing to the nations. We're seeing the Abrahamic covenant, we're seeing Abrahamic covenant fulfillment here in this miraculous healing. Isn't that good news? Because, again, friends, that's people like you and me. I'm looking out, I'm seeing people from all kinds of different ethnic backgrounds. Praise God. What a testimony of this reality in this passage. 
The compassion of God extends to strangers, strangers like you and me, and it brings us together into God's household to become his children, to eat at his table, and to receive the blessing of salvation through Christ. We see first in this collection of miracles, God's compassion to strangers. The second thing we see is God's compassion for the suffering. God's compassion for the suffering. Outside of being Gentile, what kind of people do we see coming to Jesus? Well, they are the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. They're not just Gentiles, but they are handicapped. People with disease, people with deformity, maybe even some under demonic oppression. These are people that are suffering. Suffering severely. And just to remind you, friend, this is a day before the wheelchair. This is a day before prosthetics. This is a day before handicap parking. Or the other programs that we have to help people like this. This is a day when, when children, similar to today, where children with these kind of deformities were aborted. Or they were abandoned and left to the streets. These are the outcasts of society that are flocking to Jesus. And you know what amazes me? Is how often we see Jesus Christ with these kinds of people in His earthly ministry. Jesus spends more time with those who are suffering than He does with the well-to-do of society. Than with the affluent, with the rich, with the popular crowd, you can say. It's because Jesus came not with an interest for those who think, I don't need help. I don't need a physician. He came with those who recognize they need help. They need a physician. And those who are suffering recognize it quicker than others do. He comes to the lowly of society. And you know why? He already told us. It's because he is lowly and gentle in heart. That's why he comes to these kinds of people. He associates with the lowly. He serves the lowly. He has compassion for those who are suffering. He sympathizes with those who suffer. You know why? Because he himself was afflicted. He himself suffered. Are you suffering? Are you suffering today? Are you suffering loss? Have you had a hard year? Did you suffer the loss of income? Loss of health? Loss of a loved one? Do you have chronic pain? Physical afflictions? And you think to yourself sometimes, no one else understands what I'm going through. I know one who does. Jesus Christ, who sympathizes with those who suffer. He knows. He knows and he understands and beyond that, he has compassion for the suffering. His compassion moves him to not say, oh, too bad for you, and to walk away. The compassion of Christ moves him to those who suffer. In this case, to heal them. To be the actual physician. In some cases today, his compassion is expressed not through 
healing. Sometimes he heals, sometimes he doesn't. But always through his presence. In the midst of your suffering, you need to know something today. Christ is with you. And he cares. He sympathizes with you. He understands like no one else does. We have a God, a King, a Savior who's with you in your suffering. And he's proven it by showing compassion to those who suffer. You know, we can learn something from the lowliness of Christ. His time spent with those who are suffering. The outcasts of society. Jesus said that if you love the least of these, the least of these in society, then you love him. He also said if you don't love the least of these, then you don't know him. That that is actually evidence that you don't have a relationship with Christ if you don't love the least of these. I just wonder, I ask myself, why do I try so hard? Why do we as a society, try so hard to impress people? Why are you trying so hard to be with the quote-unquote high of society, the upper class, the influencer in work, the power player? Why do we work so hard to impress people, to be surrounded with well-to-do people when Christ didn't work so hard for that? He surrounded himself with those who suffer, with the lowly in society, Those were the people that he spent time with, that he served, that he showed compassion towards. Listen, friend, there are those who suffer all around us. There are those who are suffering in our church. There are those who are suffering in our communities. There are those who are suffering out on the corner of the the grocery uh, market, the grocery store. Will the compassion of Christ move you to them? Move you to care? Move you to give? Move you to show the compassion of Christ to those who need it the most and who recognize they need it? Will you move with compassion like Christ did to those who suffer? So Jesus here shows compassion to the stranger. He shows compassion to those who are suffering. And third, he shows compassion for those who are starving. He shows compassion for the starving. Jesus feeds another 4,000. No big deal with a couple of loaves of bread and some fish. It's almost identical to the previous feeding, just the numbers are a little different. 4,000, 5,000, not much of a difference in the grand scheme of things. We're talking probably around 14 to 19,000 people, including the women and children. That's a lot of people. That fills an indoor stadium. So Jesus does a marvelous miracle showing His power But what I find amazing about this miracle, if we kind of focus in on verse 32, are Jesus' words before he feeds them. Look at what Jesus says in verse 32. He says, I have compassion on the crowd. Now we've seen this word compassion many times in the the Gospel of Matthew. It's the word splanknon, which refers to the inward turning of the stomach. It's a deep feeling that results in outward movement. Jesus could have said literally, my stomach is turning with compassion for these people. He feels it. He's moved by it. Stirred by it emotionally. He looks out. Why? He says, because they've been with me now three days and they have nothing to eat. 
He doesn't say, they've been with me now three days and they're not understanding me. They're not getting it. Or they've been with me three days and, I don't know, they must be tired. They must be weary. He, he's concerned about them not having food to eat. That's what he's concerned about. That's why his compassion is stirred in this account. And three days, that's a long time. That's a long time with no food. How many of you have fasted for a meal? It's a place to start. How many of you fasted for a day? A whole day, 24 hours. That's the next step. How, how about three days? Multiple days, two days. Maybe they had food on day one, but they don't have it on day three. That's a long time. I throw out this word way too often. I'm, I'm first guilty party. I'm starving. What does it truly mean to be starving? I'd say going without food for a couple of days, you, you're, you know what that feels like. These people were starving. And then I thought, you know, parents of little ones, moms, could you imagine the kids? What kind of attitude they would have without food for a couple of days? These kids would be a nightmare. I don't know. That's just how the dad thinks. But these people are truly hungry. And look at what Jesus says next. This is amazing. I love the way he says this. He says, and I, and I am unwilling. Literally, I don't want to send them away hungry. Jesus could have said in kind of a stoic way, kind of a matter of fact, like I'm not going to send them away hungry. Like, like maybe how a king would, would speak on behalf of his people. No, he's, he opens his heart and he shows us what he wants, what he desires. He says, I don't, I don't want to send them away hungry. I don't want to. He wants to feed them because he notices they're starving. Now, any mere mortal could say that. Anybody could say, oh, that's too bad. I don't want to send them away hungry. But then, if they don't have the means to feed, they're kind of out of luck. They have to send them away hungry, right? But, but Jesus is no mere mortal. When the creator of the universe says, I don't want to send them away hungry, guess what? He doesn't have to. Even if he doesn't have the means, even if he doesn't have access to the food around him, because he can make it. See, he creates the means to fulfill his desires. Nature bends to what God wants. Psalm 115, one of my favorite psalms, says God sits in the heavens. He does what he wants. And so get this, friend. What God wants, among a lot of other things in your life, what God wants is to feed you. To make sure you're provided for. That's among a list of other things. One of his desires is that you don't go away hungry. That you got food on your table tomorrow and the next day and the next day. He wants you to be provided for. And he's not just anybody. He's the creator of the universe. He has any means to provide that food to you. How anxious are you? How anxious are you day to day? about just being provided for, having enough income to pay the bills, having enough income to feed the family. And that anxiety pushes some of us to extraordinary means to try to do everything in our effort to never have that be the case. I remember my dad telling you, I never want you to be hungry like I was hungry. Well, how about starting here, friends? Trust God who wants to provide for you. 
and has the means to provide for you and will provide for you. Did you forget what Jesus said in Matthew? Let's go back there. We need to read this. We need to be reminded of this because we are chasing, 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 and we need to rest in the provision provided by God. Go to Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. We need to be reminded of this teaching from Jesus Christ. It relates to what we just heard come out of his mouth. God is unwilling to send them hungry. Look at how God provides for us. Matthew 6.25 Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you'll drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. Christian, do you trust God that He will truly provide for you? Provide your needs? Do you look to Him when it looks like you may not pay the bills next month? Or the month after? Do you look to Him when you're worried that you, you may not be able to provide food on the table? Do you trust that God wants to provide for you? Because Jesus does. And He proves it here. He is unwilling to send His people away hungry. This is amazing compassion for Christ to care about the littlest needs in our life and to extend His compassion to strangers. We see that He shows compassion to strangers. He shows compassion to those who are suffering. Shows compassion to those who are starving. Now I want us to look at them. So there He is, compassionate King who cares for us. Now, what do they do? What do these crowds do in response to Jesus? Maybe we can see from this crowd an example of devotion to God. An example of seeking God or seeking Christ. So, point four in your outline is the devotion of the seeker. The devotion of the seeker. Those who are seeking God. Now, theological preface here. The Bible tells us, and it is clear, that no one seeks after God by their own intuition. No one seeks after God by their own intuition. Psalm 14, Romans 3, two passages that are explicitly clear. 
Not by our own mustard faith or strength do we seek after God. But those who receive the gift of faith, those who have the work of God in their hearts to open their eyes, they do respond by seeking Him. So if you are a Christian, if you're truly in Christ by faith, then you have the ability to seek Him, to pursue God, to truly run after Him. And that's what we see this crowd do. They seek Christ. And they express that devotion in several ways. Look at their actions. First, they came to Him. First, they came to Him. In verse 30, great crowds came to Him. They did not go to other healers. They did not go to their pagan gods. They didn't go to witch doctors. They came to Jesus. They responded to the call of Christ in Matthew 11 when He says, Come to Me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Everything starts with coming to Jesus. Jesus is the object of our faith. He is our Savior. He is our King. It all starts with coming to Him. Where else can you go? Where else can you go, friend? Have you tried other places? For help? For a sense of satisfaction? For purpose? You can go nowhere else. Come to Jesus. Who else can forgive your sin? Who else can give you freedom from sin's power? Who else can provide rest for your weary soul? There's none other than Jesus Christ. So if you have not come to Him, start there. Come to Him today. They first came to Jesus. Second, they brought others to Him. Look at it. They didn't just come by themselves. They brought with them the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute. They brought others. You know, it's, it's Andrew who brought Peter to Jesus. It was Philip who brought Nathaniel to Jesus. And now these crowd, this crowd brings others. Who are you going to bring to Jesus? Who in your life needs Jesus? Needs a Savior? Needs help? Who in your life is suffering through an affliction and their ultimate need is, is, a, is a Savior, somebody who will save them from their sins? Who are you going to bring to Jesus? Or are you going to point them somewhere else? Go somewhere else. No, you've got the answer. You've got the solution. Will you at least tell them about Jesus? Will you at least invite them to a church where they will hear about Jesus? Bring them. Be a bringer like Andrew. Be a bringer like Philip. Who will you bring to Jesus? They not only came to Jesus, they brought others to Jesus. And the third thing we see them do is they laid it all at His feet. When it says that they put down these blind, crippled, put them at His feet, that word is literally they laid these people at His feet. A great picture, a great symbol of laying it all down at the feet of Jesus. Your problems, your afflictions, your sin, your idols. What a great picture of laying it all at the feet of Jesus because He is the only answer. He's the only one who can deal with your problems, with your sin, with your suffering, with the trials in your life. Let me ask you today, what do you need to bring to the feet of Jesus? What do you need to bring to the feet of Jesus? What decision in your life needs to be laid down at His feet? What affliction needs to be laid down at Jesus' feet? What sin 
needs to be cut off and laid down at the feet of Jesus? What idol do you need to surrender once and for all at the feet of Jesus? Do you need to lay down your children, your future, your marriage, your job? What do you need to lay down at His feet today? What is something that you're holding back that you're still not ready to surrender at the feet of Christ? These people, they laid it all down. They came to His feet. They knew they had to surrender all, even these serious, serious afflictions in their friends' lives. They laid it at the feet of Jesus. They went to the right place. The next thing we see them do is we see them marvel. They marvel. I've got to be honest with you, I am every time, but I don't like the way the English Standard Version translates this word. Okay? The word uh, wondered in verse 31. You see that? So the crowd wondered. I just don't like the word. It's just a personal opinion. Wonder, for me, implies confusion. Whoa! Where did that come from? That's not really the sense here. The sense is the word astonished, or amazed, or they marveled. They knew what they saw, and they were amazed by it. Overwhelmed, you could say. They marveled at what they saw. It was thrilling. It was exciting for them. I wonder, are you still amazed by Jesus? Does Jesus still get you going? Does He enthrall you? Does He thrill you? Does He he make you marvel when you learn more about Him through the preaching of the Word or or through reading the Word or or seeing something in the text, Him revealing something to you in, in prayer? Do you marvel at Jesus like this crowd does? They are thrilled. They're more thrilled with Jesus than anything else going on in their life. Are you still amazed at Jesus' love for you? Do you still marvel at His person? Is He still the most amazing, most interesting, most infatuating person in your life? Or is there a competitor? Do you read your Bible not just to read, but to find Him and to face Him, to know Him? Or are there other subjects more interesting for you? Other things that you need to read first? in your day, before learning and knowing Christ. Other topics, interesting articles, social media, movies, TV shows, whatever. Or is Jesus still that amazing to you? Does he cause you to marvel, to marvel at who he is and what he has done? Make 2024 a year of marveling at Christ, of being enthralled and amazed and Thrilled with Jesus. They marveled. The next thing we see them doing is they glorified God. They glorified the God of Israel, verse 31. To glorify God is to give Him praise, to give Him the honor that He is due. We don't add anything to the glory of God. He is all glorifying in and of Himself. We ascribe Him praise. We, with our words, just say who He is. And we fall short. But that's what it means to glorify God. Glorifying God is both public and private. You don't just glorify God in the, in the closet when you pray in the morning 
or in your Bible study. You glorify God in every aspect of your life. The Bible calls us to glorify God in everything we do. Whether we eat or drink, we glorify God. We are witnesses in public of the God of Israel, the one true God, and His Son, the Messiah. So, the question is, will you glorify God in every area of your life? 2024. What aspect of your life is not glorifying God right now? Is not giving Him the praise or the honor that He's due? Are you not glorifying God in your parenting? Are you not glorifying God in the workplace? Are you not glorifying your God in your relationship with your parents? Are you not glorifying God in your friendships? Has, is, are you glorifying God as the Scriptures call you to in every aspect of your life? Ascribing to Him honor and praise. Being a, a good ambassador and a witness. Is it clear that whether you eat or drink, you do all to the glory of God and the glory of Christ the Son? These people glorify God. The next thing we see them do. See, we're learning from their response. The passage says that they remained with Him. Look at what Jesus says. They've been with Me now three days and have nothing to eat. In verse 32. You know what that word, been with Me now, also translates to? To stay. To remain. Or maybe you're more familiar with the translation in John 15. To abide. Jesus says, these people aren't just here with me. They're staying with me. They're sticking with me. They're remaining with me. They are abiding with me. These people weren't in in for a quick show. Even without food, even in the wilderness, even at great cost, they intended to stay. Will you remain with Jesus? Will you stick it out with Him even during the Tough times, even at great cost, when the going gets tough, when He calls you out into the wilderness, when your future is uncertain or it's unclear, will you stay with Him? Will you remain with Him like these people? Through trial, through trouble, through pain, through, through persecution? Jesus says in John 15, He says, I am the vine, you're the branches, whoever abides in Me, same word, stays in Me, and I in Him. It's He that bears much fruit. For apart from Me, you can do nothing. You've got to stick with Jesus. You've got to stay with Him. Remain with Him. And not just come to Him when you need Him. Like a genie in a bottle. Or not just come to Him when life is good and it's easy. But to stay with Jesus through everything. Jesus is clear. Matthew 24, the one who endures... Same word, remains to the end, will be saved. It's those who stick with Jesus, who stay with Jesus, who are saved. Of course, we know Christ holds us fast. And the evidence of that is that we stay with him. We abide in him. They remained with Jesus. And finally, we see that they eat and they are satisfied. Verse 37. Obviously, this is related to physical food. Jesus literally feeds them food. And they eat it all, and they're stuffed to the rafters. But this is true spiritually as well. For every person who comes to Jesus, they will eat, and they will be satisfied in Him. 
Jesus said to them in John 6.35, he said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not go hungry. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. God promises to all who are in his new covenant, Jeremiah 31, he says, For I will satisfy the weary soul. And every languishing soul I will replenish. Do you believe that today? Do you believe that all the satisfaction you need is in Christ? That He will satisfy you? You don't need to go to substance. You don't need to go to a relationship. You don't need to go to money or any kind of possession for satisfaction. Do you believe that it is Jesus and Jesus alone who satisfies? Because He does. He promises true joy, true satisfaction, true pleasure in His presence, nowhere else. If you're still hungry today, spiritually, you're out there looking for something, and you're looking in all the wrong places, come to Jesus. Be satisfied in Him. Does your satisfaction rest in Christ? So this is... This is a devoted bunch. There's a lot we can learn from a Gentile crowd about how to seek after Christ, how to seek after God. These people responded well. How will you respond to who Christ is, the compassionate King? How can we emulate Christ's compassion? Well, we looked at His compassion and think about who the strangers who the sufferers and who the starving people are in your life that you can show the compassion of Christ to in the year 2024? What would Jesus do for these kinds of people? How about your devotion to Christ this year? Have you come to Him? And do you keep coming? Are you bringing others to Him? Have you laid it all at His feet? Do you continue to marvel and be amazed by Jesus? Do you glorify Him in every aspect of your life? Are you sticking with Him no matter what life throws at you? And are you satisfied in Christ? Not looking everywhere else. If no to any of those things, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus today. Let's pray. Father, Your Word is so clear. You've given us no excuse for our lack of devotion to you. You've given us all things in Christ, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If we just simply put our faith and trust in him for salvation, he blesses us with everything. Yet God, we live our life so distracted. We have no excuse for that. Help us to be devoted followers of the king. Help us to bring every area of our life under submission to his lordship to follow in his example and to even learn from the example of these people this crowd who came to Jesus who brought others to Jesus who marveled who glorified God who laid it all at his feet who ate and were satisfied help us to be to follow in their example to come to Christ today and to continue growing to become more like Christ in conformity to His image this year in 2024. Help us, Lord, because only You can. In Jesus' name, amen.